five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh from the WDMA. We're talking about data and retargeting today. But first, we're going to have the fun with Ryan Reynolds and a Mint Mobile commercial. I'm a Mint Mobile member, full disclosure. They do not give it to me for free, but it's almost free. It's the closest thing I have to a sponsor. So let's get over there. Let's see. Here we go. Okay. Sometimes it doesn't go all the way back the way I like it to. It's hard to believe that in a time of crazy inflation, Mint is still just $15 a month. Can you believe that, Ronald? No, this doesn't seem real. Well, it is. Premium wireless, $15 a month. What's your problem? Are there hidden cameras? The camera's right there. It's massive. I have some major trust issues. I've been through some shit, man. I've got you. You can trust me. I'm an actor. <laughs> you can trust me. I'm an actor. If there was ever a line that's... Anyway, we won't go into that. Let's just talk about Mint Mobile for a minute. Okay, so... Uh, ad of the day. Ryan Reynolds assures jury duty star Ronald Gladden that he's trustworthy. This is from Amy Houston, my friend. And basically, uh, Ronald is a, a star on a show called Jury Duty. It's a mockumentary from Amazon. Ronald Gladden, and he has trust issues because apparently he's learning as a juror. They don't always tell you the whole story. But Ronald, but uh, Ryan Reynolds assures him. And, you know, the, one of the reasons I'm such a fan maybe this is the only no the service is fine i i can't believe how, how good it is for 15 dollars a month but they also sent me this this nifty uh tattoo that i'm going to be wearing now that i've got short sleeve shirts this is one of the first days i've worn a short sleeve shirt and i'm going to put this on my arm i i promise i'm going to do that they sent this to me in the mail it says no regrets spelled wrong <laughs> switching to mint mobile Anyway, and so, I mean, how cool is that? That is how they take care of their customers. They send them free tattoos and have a lot of fun. So uh, you can't do better than that. Here's a kind of an interesting article by Peter Rogers. Data not included. Four ways to use first-party data to get the best out of your customer database platform. CDP, I believe that's what CDP stands for. We used to talk about customer databases back in the day when people weren't saving any data they would take orders and ship stuff and i was just in a conversation with a dot-com guy uh who's also a publisher and he said yeah if people don't hang around for a couple of more than a couple of months maybe one month we pretty much put them in the old pile and we don't worry about them so i hope he <laughs> starts thinking about saving their the names and maybe doing something with them and i explained a way that he could that he could qualify them even though just, you know, just a simple way to qualify them. Okay, customer data platforms. Ah, good, that's what it is. Only as good as the first-party data they're built on. Okay, I'll concede that. And we never get the data that we're kind of expecting and we'd hope for. But some clients have been better than others, right? Um, so CDP's popularity has skyrocketed. 
since they can help you collect and manage your data? Right. Now, most brands aren't very intimately connected with their customers, and that makes it problematic. And so they're saving things like clicks and, and comments and stuff like that. Okay. I cut my teeth on real first-party data purchases. And I can tell you, as, as hard and fast as purchases are, you know, when you get someone to actually part with some money, that is a different level than a click. Right? I have an article about uh, what, what uh, Brad Parcell did, how he was selling uh, election gear instead of just asking people their, their opinion. And probably did the best job anyone's ever done. It was amazing. Uh, Brad is legendary. So how to get the most from your investment? Okay. Key components, identity, resolution, your first party data asset, your organizational transformation, and use case driven approach. Okay. And uh, so start with identity. And in the beginning, you know, we would do merge purge. We still have merge purge software. And uh, one of the things we were looking for is, has this person ordered before? Simple first case question. Simple first case behavioral question. And as easy as that question is to ask, it's not that easy to answer. Because people are funny and they don't keep their, <laughs> they don't keep, they don't use the same address. You know, uh, in many cases we'll use a multiple identity with a credit card and a zip code and maybe a phone number all pushed together but if they use a different phone or if they use a different uh, you know they they're snowbirds and they buy in Florida or they buy in Wisconsin we had uh, a furniture client and it was not uncommon for them to have for customers to have three different physical addresses and using the same credit card number which was their identity marker was credit card number which is also great except because you can track retail buying and also online buying you can merge those together there's pluses and minuses to all this identity stuff address is a nice one but like i said you can have multiple identities and when you're looking at the value of a customer a customer who's ordered once isn't very valuable a customer who's ordered twice multi-buyer is much more valuable but if they have two houses they might look like two one-time buyers instead of one two-time buyer. Changes the whole picture, right? Especially if it's thousands of dollars in the purchase. So it's, I wish I could say it was simple, it's not. And so for that reason, a lot of our clients outsource this to Experian or somebody else who, who tries really hard to keep a customer identity. Um, and um, that's all they do. And so it probably it probably makes sense to consider that again. Talk with your talk with your uh, I don't know who you'd talk with. Talk with me. Give me a call, John at WDMA.org, and uh, on LinkedIn, my phone number I think that's my cell phone comes right to me. Give me a call. It's not this number, but that number I answer too, um, and it forwards to my cell. So you need to ensure that customer profiles are accurate. I don't know if I've ever had customer profiles that were accurate. You know, you do the best you can. It's really a really tough puzzle. Names change, addresses change, phone numbers change, credit card numbers change, IP addresses change like crazy, different devices. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Very, very challenging. 
uh, and maybe you can enhance it by third-party data. I'll just say it's very enhanced, very difficult. Okay, now build your first-party data asset. Okay, so you should have a standardized model. You should have a standardized model, Pete says, Peter says, I'm not sure what that is, but I, I did a, an RFP. I was, I was given an RFP by, um, by uh, a big, 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 big publishing company, and they bought 800 magazines. And uh, Epsilon was the other bidder on the project, and um, after reading the RFP, I declined to bid. Because what they wanted me to do was build a standardized model across all of these publications. Now, I had worked with several of them, Horse and Rider, In Fisherman, Fly Fisherman, Equus, and probably a couple others. And so I knew something about their data structures, and I also knew some of the people that worked there. And each of them had unique properties. Like In Fisherman knew the kind of fish you fished for. And Fly Fisherman knew if you had a passport they would go and ask you because one of their number one variables for long-term subscription was if you had a passport because fly fisherman was talking about exotic locations that you could go and fly fish oftentimes out of the country okay so those kind of fly fishermen were travelers and what they wanted with their standardized data model was to homogenize everybody into the same data 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 structure and I told them, I said, you're going to just destroy, you're going to destroy all of these publications, which they kind of did. So I declined to bid because a standardized data model is great if, unless there's a reason for it not to be. And a lot of different brands would have, could have different data that mattered more on each of their markets. So, you know, don't go all in on this don't take this guy as <laughs> Peter I will reach out to you as always and I'd love to hear from you uh, I'm not saying you're wrong it's good to clean things up but don't let cleaning things up destroy oh man I've I've been involved with so many ERP changes and uh, you know we were we we had built a whole array of variables for uh, for music musicians friend and but they but the IT department insisted that they change to a different uh, order processing system, and the old one had the price that an item sold for and the price that the item in the in the transaction order detail and the price that was the list price. So you could tell what kind of discounting they'd gotten on that individual order, and so from that we could find whether this person was likely to buy on a sale offer some customers believe it or not were they just didn't ever want to buy on a sale price and some would only buy on a sale price that's not hard to believe right and so this system allowed us to find that and allowed us to build all these variables which were powerful in modeling well the IT department at Guitar Center didn't care they didn't ask us what variables we needed they just said oh you know we'll tell you when the data changes and when it did that that little information wasn't there. So we lost probably a dozen of really powerful variables that allowed us to make more money when we and not offer sales to people who were going to spend the money anyway. No sense eroding our margin. Anyway, it's hard for them to understand 
it's hard for them to understand the IT people what you're doing when you're a marketer okay another crucial aspect of value realization is organizational transformation okay and it says you need to have buy-in from all teams IT marketing and customer service to ensure everyone is working off the same customer profiles. I've never seen this true. It's a war. It's a war between IT and marketing, mostly because IT often reports because the first, the first area of business ever uh, computerized was the accounting department, right? So the CFO oftentimes controls IT. And also, they were on a big mainframe. I remember when daytimers came in one time and said, uh, I, I, I said to them, you know, uh, they said, we don't let the marketing people <laughs> run a query between August and February or something like that, because that's our busy season. Uh, I said, oh, okay, that probably upsets them, right? They said, yeah, but we're going to fix it. Instead of letting them run queries, we're going to give them a programmer. I said, oh. That means marketing is going to program your mainframe. <laughs> and the guy said, yeah. And I said, let me say that again. Marketing is going to program your mainframe. All of a sudden, he turned pale white. He said, oh, I see what you mean. Now, the problem is, in 40 years or let's say 30 years of handling data, I have yet to see that... <laughs> We wanted to give the marketing people access to their database because what we would do is suck the data out of the order processing system and into a customer database, just like this. Just the same idea, 30 years. And I always wanted to give marketing access and let them play around. And Jim Barry, who was chief technology officer for Current, uh, which was a big company, and he had like two or 300 people reporting to him. He ended up working for me because he wanted to be closer to home and some other things, and we were old friends. Anyway, and he said, John, in all the years that marketing has asked you questions, have you ever, have, have you ever, have they ever asked for what they really want for? Want, have they ever asked for what they want? I said, no. They're, they always want something that they don't know how to define. And, and especially defined it in terms of computers. So I've spent much of my career translating between IT and marketing and just trying to explain what each other is after. Deluxe hired me once. I spent two days on site. And at the end, I figured it out. And the accounting people said, you know, you could be an accountant if you wanted to. I thought, what a scary thought. Yes, I'm a very creative accountant. So... If you get all these teams together, I um, admire you. You can spend more time doing that than getting anything done with making money with your data. So I would suggest you outsource your CDP and outsource it to somebody who knows what they're talking about. And uh, my, oh my. And maybe let them tell you what the best use of your data is. You know, I remember when the, the hot topic or the hot name was uh, was customer landfill. No, it was something like, well, it was data mining, you know. And it, and the idea was you put, we'll, we'll take all your data and we'll put it all in a in a big data set and we'll let you, we'll give you lots of tools and you can look around in there all you want. 
which isn't what mining is like. Not at all. That's prospecting, I guess. Uh, mining is like, we're going to sluice that. We got a mountain. We're going to run it through this machine, and it's going to find the gold. And we don't care about anything else. And this is an area where we, we, we're likely to find gold, and we know how to find gold, and we got a system for finding it. That's what we've done all through the years. We tell them the use case. If you just want to make up your use case and try to find the data that will fit it, good luck. So I guess I hope Peter and I connect and we can have a talk about this. And probably we're on the same page. Uh, you know, these articles you have to write to a certain word count. Here's an article by Lori Patkin. Pakin? Pal yeah, Pakin. Chief Revenue Officer at Navistone. And Navistone was one of the first, the first I'd ever heard of retargeting in mail. And um, she talks about, she talks about retargeting and uh, it goes back, she said, to 1994. The internet wasn't really a thing until 95, I thought. Maybe, maybe it was fall of 94 it got started. But anyway, she says since the 1980s, she's been helping, oh no, in more recent years, she's been helping people convert uh, direct mail customers into digital audiences. Now what I guess she, since the 80s? There was no digital. There was no digital audiences in the 1980s. I was around in the 80s, so I don't know what. I don't know what she means, and that's a lot of the way I this this article I don't understand too well, because, you know, the idea is simple. If, uh, for example, we had a client, Lovesack, great client, great, um, great use of retargeting. What happened was we got their we got their direct mail program working pretty well. And um, we showed them how to test. We showed them how to do a lot of things. And it started getting, really getting working well. At the same time, Brian Dillette from LS Direct uh, showed them how to retarget by mail. They didn't use Navistone. Um, they, I won't tell you all the vendors. But anyway, Brian is the guy to talk to. And... Uh, Last I talked to him, which wasn't too long ago, he said, Lovesack's still doing this. But they were doing a lot of TV advertising around their stores. They also had a really nice website, and they were trying to do a lot of digital. And so they were doing a lot of things to drive traffic to their website, because mostly people would go from the TV to the website to the store, okay, or from the digital to the website. And we did some analysis that showed that most of their sales were coming around their store. Not hard to believe. It was hard for them to believe because they thought they could just, if they were digital enough, people would buy from anywhere. But people like to jump on the furniture. And so what we did was, uh, because they were driving a lot of traffic to the website, this retargeting worked really, really well. And then they used the techniques of, testing offers, and the whole thing poured gasoline on the deal, and it grew like crazy. And so there's a lot to be said for retargeting. Oftentimes, it only works for people. I mean, it really, you know, if you don't have enough web traffic, I I keep asking retargeting companies with mail how many names you need, and it seems to be uh, 100,000 visitors a month will get you about 5,000 mail pieces, which isn't a lot because of privacy issues, of match issues, um, like we just talked about with data. 
Um, and so if you have less than that, it just becomes a handful and it's almost not worth the trouble. But there are digital people who will do it at a very, very small level. Um, and so I, I would say, you know, the, the article's available on WDMA.org and I'll let you go. Like and share, leave a comment, especially Peter, uh, and your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye. Oh.